The festive period can be a hard time for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Perhaps for financial reasons, as well as triggering old memories, or remembering those who aren't here to celebrate with us. This last Christmas was very different for all of us, but for the Kosher family, it was yet another year without their loved one, who went missing less than two weeks before Christmas. Let's uncover the unsolved disappearance of Stephen Kosher. Hello and welcome to the 43rd episode of Uncover True Crime Podcast. My name is Stephanie and in every episode we uncover a different unsolved true crime case ranging from unsolved murders, missing persons, Jaren John Doe's and suspicious deaths. You can listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other podcast streaming apps as well as on YouTube by searching Uncover True Crime. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Uncover underscore pod, on Instagram at Uncover True Crime Pod and you can join the Uncover True Crime discussion group on Facebook. But without any further ado, let's uncover the unsolved disappearance of Stephen Kosher. Stephen Thel Kosher was born on the 1st of November 1979 to Roth and Diane. He had four siblings, Matthew, Lisa, Dallin and Michael, and they all grew up in Armadillo, Texas. The Kosher family were all practicing Mormons, and after Stephen graduated from high school in 1998, he completed his mission in Brazil and learned to speak Portuguese while he was there. Upon his return, he studied at Ricks College, now known as the Birmingham Young University in Idaho, and at the University of Utah, and received a degree in communications. He stayed in Utah after graduating and started an internship at the local governor's office. He then went on to work at the Davis County Clippard newspaper and at the Salt Lake Tribune's online edition, but quit the latter when he moved to a different part of the state, St. George. After his move, Stephen was in and out of work and was constantly on the lookout for new employment opportunities. Money was tight and he fell behind on his rent, to the point where his landlord contacted his parents about it. Understand this annoyed Stephen, but he was able to reassure his parents that everything was fine. His mother told the Salt Lake Tribune, quote, We talked about finances in our last conversation, and I felt he was in control of things, and I offered to help him with his rent, saying that's what families did for each other. I transferred some money into his account, but it was never used. Unquote. While his lack of income would have been taking its toll, he was not said to have been depressed and remained active in the LDS church, his local community, and was actively researching his family tree. This was until he took a mysterious trip and never came back. On the 12th of December 2009, Stephen left his home in St George, Utah and bought Christmas presents for his family at 8pm at the local Kmart. The next day, he spoke to two friends on the phone and mentioned that he was over 120 miles away in Las Vegas, Nevada. They never asked him why he was there and this was a decision they would both come to regret. His car, which was a 2003 Chevy Cavalier, was found on the 2600 block of Savannah Springs Avenue in Henderson, Nevada. Although sources differ as to when the car was found. Some say the 13th, the 14th or the 15th. When the car was found, residents were asked if they had seen Stephen and while this did not lead to any eyewitnesses, police were able to find CCTV footage of Stephen driving into the cul-de-sac, exiting his car and walking away. This was the last time that Stephen was seen alive. It didn't take long for his family to wonder where he was and when they found out his car had been found in a different state, there was no question in his father's mind as to what he was going to do next. Quote, 
And it started with a text message, and the next day I was down in Las Vegas trying to see what we could see, unquote. No one knew what led Stephen to Nevada, so police and his family tried to retrace his steps to try and find out what had made him take the trip, hoping that the answer would lead them to Stephen. They found out that on the 10th of December, Stephen had visited his ex's parents in Ruby Valley, Nevada. His ex wasn't home, but Stephen had lunch with her parents, and he mentioned an upcoming trip he was planning to Sacramento, California, although they advised him not to go because of the weather. Neither of them noted anything unusual about his behaviour, although the visit itself was unexpected. Stephen left their house after a few hours and returned to Salt Lake City. When he returned to Utah that day, he stopped to fill up his car in Springsville on the way back to St. George. On the 12th of December, he returned to Nevada, but this time he bought petrol in Mesquite, which is over 489 miles from Ruby Valley, and just under 100 miles from where his car would eventually be found. Later that day, he visited Kmart in Utah to buy Christmas presents for his family, gifts that would later be found in the boot of his car when it was found abandoned in Henderson. After not finding any answers from Stephen's last known movements, they tried to find out where he went after he left his car. From the CCTV, it looks like Stephen was walking with a location in mind, and it also doesn't appear that he stopped in that retirement community by accident. It looked very deliberate in my opinion. Some people believe that he was holding something under one of his arms, specifically a manila folder. And while I can see a slight shadow there, I don't think the CCTV is clear enough to say whether he does or does not have something on him, let alone determining if it is a manila folder. Five hours after Stephen was last seen on CCTV, his phone pinged off a tower near Arroyo Grande and American Pacific Avenue, nine miles away, and according to Google Maps, it would take approximately two to three hours to walk there from where he left his car. Two hours later, it pinged again at Whitney Ranch near Sunset Drive and Stephanie Street. And again, according to Google Maps, this would have taken him approximately 50 minutes to walk. The next day, on the 13th, someone used Stephen's phone to access his voicemail and it pinged off a tower near Route US 95 and Russell Road, where it stayed for two days until it was either turned off or died. When I typed this last location into Google Maps, it immediately came up with the Palladium Apartments, which is a very upscale apartment complex around 12 miles away from where he left his Chevy. Now, I don't know exactly how exact these locations are or how far he could have been away from these cell towers for his phone to ping off them, but it does give us an idea of where he could have been or at the very least where his phone was, although it has never been located. Police also had a look at his cell phone records to see if he called anyone on the lead up to or after his disappearance, and they were able to account for every number bar one. They called this number and the man who answered it said that the phone belonged to his wife and he didn't know Stephen or have any idea why he would have called her. One of the man's daughters overheard the call and realised that she had met Stephen and while this story didn't aid in the investigation, it does highlight just what kind of person Stephen was. The day before Stephen went missing, he was handing out leaflets from a window cleaning company that he was doing some work for, and he saw two girls who had been locked out of their home. It was December and they were freezing, so Stephen decided to help. He tried to help them find a spare key, which was usually under the doormat. When they couldn't find it, he let the girls borrow their phone so they could call their mum. 
When their mum didn't answer, they sought help from a neighbour and the girls were able to sit in the neighbour's house out of the cold until their parents arrived home. When Dina Kosher heard this story, she said, quote, That's our Stephen. That's what's driving us crazy, unquote. Despite the fact that both the Las Vegas and St George Police Departments are investigating the case, that's everything that is publicly known about Stephen's disappearance. Police searched Henderson and the surrounding area with search dogs, ATV helicopters, on top of conducting door-to-door canvassing, and they put his face on the side of police cars, yet he was never found. The mysterious nature of Stephen's disappearance means that many people have come up with theories as to what could have happened to him, and, as with all theories we discuss, they are all pure speculation. There are people on forums such as Reddit who have theorised that Stephen had a drug problem or had turned to drug dealing as a way to make ends meet. And I'm not going to entertain this theory because I can't see anything that supports it and I can't imagine how hard it must be for Stephen's family to hear this, especially without there being any proof or indication that he was involved in that world at all. By all accounts, Stephen didn't even drink alcohol and was very devoted to God and to the Church of the Latter-day Saint. And while it's not totally unheard of for Mormons to do drugs, I don't think it is a viable theory in this case. Another theory is that he ran away with a woman called Susan Powell, another missing person from Utah. It was Susan's husband who first came up with this theory, and anyone who knows anything about her case knows that not only is Stephen Powell the prime suspect in her case, but as far as I know, he is the only suspect so it makes sense he would want to come up with an alternate theory. Also, there is no evidence that the pair even knew each other. Susan Powell went missing five months before Stephen did, and while they both lived in Utah, Susan lived in West Valley City, around 300 miles away from where Stephen Kosher lived. They were also both Mormons, although as are many people living in Utah, so I don't think this is a close enough connection to assume that the pair would have met. So again, I don't think that this is what happened, and it doesn't make sense that the pair would stay hidden for 11 plus years. Another theory is that Stephen completed suicide, and again, while it's not totally unheard of for Mormons to take their own life, it does go against their beliefs. His family don't believe that Stephen would have taken his own life, with his brother Dallin commenting, quote, I don't think he committed suicide. He was depressed, but even though I'm not a psychologist, he did not exhibit the rapid mood swings people who commit suicide demonstrate. Another thing is, a lot of people commit suicide for attention and leave notes behind, and nothing with Stephen was ever found. If he did intend on taking his own life, I can understand why he would want to travel far away from his family to do so, but I don't understand why he would leave his car in a retirement community unless he really wanted to throw people off the scent and not to be found. It is possible that he wanted to leave his life to start anew, but where? Is this what his upcoming trip to Sacramento was about? I couldn't find any information about whether his family knew about the Sacramento trip, but I did read somewhere that he told his ex-partner's parents it was to visit family, despite no one he was related to living there. That leads me on to another question. Why did he make so many trips to Nevada, and why did he visit his ex's parents? I couldn't find any information about his ex-girlfriend, how long they were together, or how long it had been since they'd split up, or why he would have visited them with no warning. But there definitely does seem to be another reason besides this as to why he travelled to Nevada since he visited three different areas of the state in such a short space of time. There also is the possibility that he met with foul play, but from whom and why? 
Did he meet the wrong stranger or did he plan to meet someone in Nevada who had bad intentions? Personally, I think that Stephen had every intention of returning to his car. Although he took his driver's license, wallet and passport with him, he didn't have any other belongings with him and he left Christmas presents for his family in the boot of the car. Things that he would have wanted his family to have. If he was going to leave his life, why would he leave the gifts in his car in another state? Why not leave them in his house so that his family would have been able to find them easier? He had no way to know that people would identify identify his car so quickly since it was parked innocently on a street and I think the only reason it was noticed so quickly was because it was a close retirement community and a car that no one recognised would have probably stood out like a sore thumb. We don't have a clue what happened to Stephen but we do know that he left behind a family who love him deeply and are still no closer to finding him or any closure. The Kosher family have been without Stephen for more than a decade and I can't even begin to imagine how hard the last 11 years have been for them. As Diane Kosher said a month after her son disappeared, quote, we're taking things one day at time. We go through different scenarios to try and get a handle on it, but none of it makes sense. I can't believe it's been this many days." Unquote. Sadly, this is not the only tragedy the Kosher family have had to deal with, as Stephen's father Rolf died very unexpectedly in February 2011, just over a year after Stephen went missing. Police have made it clear that if Stephen contacts them and confirms he is safe, they will not disclose to anyone where he is if those are his wishes. I really do hope that police make headway in Stephen's case soon and that Stephen can either finally turn home or that his family can finally rest knowing that he is safe and well. Stephen Kosher was last seen on the 13th of December 2009 when he was 30 years old. He would be 41 if still alive today. Stephen was a white male with blonde hair and blue eyes. He stood at 5 foot 8 inches tall and weighed 180 pounds. He had a unique scar on his abdomen that looked like the Nike logo. If you have any information related to Stephen's case, you can contact the St George's Police Department on 435-627-4300 or you can contact the Henderson Police Department on 702-267-4300. All photos and sources related to today's case can be found on our website uncovertruecrimepodcast.co.uk That's everything I have for you today. Thank you for listening to the very end. Please stay safe and have a good night.